Hello, and welcome to the Sunday Sermon Cast from Bethel Evangelical Free Church on Washington Island, Wisconsin. I'm Rick Smith, and I've been here at Bethel since 2016, enjoying this great church on this spectacular place off the northern tip of Door County, Wisconsin. This message comes from our Sunday morning service here on the island, and it's geared towards discovering what the Bible has to say to us in our everyday lives. So, God's blessing on you, and thanks for joining with us wherever you are today. It certainly has been me. Not maybe to the extent where I'm commandeering a, a grocery counter there, but I have done things where I assumed and I opened up my mouth uh, to pontificate my everlasting wisdom or understanding because of someone else's lacking. Uh, because, of course, I'm an ordained minister in the Evangelical Free Church of America and complete with a Master's of a Divinity degree. Uh, do you have divinity? I, I've apparently have mastered that. But with all that, I, I've, I still mess it up. And, and, and sometimes in epic ways and show myself to be a fool. Lewis here, he, uh, he turns the simplicity of a store-wide policy into kind of a personal affront and makes the case known to all the world, or at least this entire market, only to end up crashing into that display of Chia Nativity sets. He was, well, he was a personification of ungrace, that he was so focused upon what he thought was important that people see that he did it in ways that exhibited his, his anger and, and his rage. And instead of finding winsome ways to, to meet people and engage and to reach out to them, he pretty well slapped everyone in the face who did not conform to his notion of, of religious purity and the, in the name of God and Jesus, no less. Um, and, and the thing is, this idea of ungrace, well, there's pictures of it in the scriptures and the biblical characters too. It's something we see in our world as well. I want to look at a story today that's, well, that at least on some level exhibits that and then begin to look at the other side of that. What does grace look like? Um, you maybe have heard of Judah. Judah is one of the sons of Jacob. And uh, Judah is the one whose tribe will, from whose tribe will come the kings of, of Israel and, the, and Judah eventually. There's one of the nations is named after him. And Judah has some family problems. His daughter-in-law has dis been discovered to be a prostitute and is pregnant. And so within that culture, horrible offense, something that is just not at all okay. And so he has, he has a response that brings her to justice. And, and in, in Genesis chapter 38, where we find the story, in verse 24, uh, this comes to him. About three months later, Judah was told, your daughter-in-law, Tamar, is guilty of prostitution, and as a result, she is now pregnant. And so Judah said, bring her out and have her burned to death. Well, there it is. <laughs> that, uh, that's pretty harsh. Um, it's a little different parameter of justice than we have, but it is, it is one of the facts of how they dealt with unfaithfulness within that culture. Obviously, we don't do that here in our culture today, but it's not unknown even within our world today that this kind of response to unfaithfulness is met with as, as much vigilance as can be imagined in many cultures. Uh, it's certainly 
was meant to have a deterring effect on promiscuity. This is the result of it. But, but is that all that's going on here? And if I was just to start the story here, you would wonder, well, what's, what got us here? Well, I started kind of in the middle of the story, and uh, we're going to rewind it to, to the beginning. See, Judah had two children, and, or three, chil- three sons, and the first of them marries this gal, Tamar. And so in, Ju- in Genesis chapter 38, this is how this story begins. At that time, Judah left his brothers and went down to stay with a man of Adullam named Hira. There Judah met the daughter of a Canaanite man called, named Shua. He married her and made love to her. She became pregnant and gave, son, gave birth to a son whose name, who was named Ur. She conceived again and gave birth to a son and named him Onan. She gave birth to still another son and named him Shelah. It was at Kezib that he, she gave birth to him. Judah got a wife for Ur, his firstborn, and her name was Tamar. But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the Lord's sight. So the Lord put him to death. Then Judah said to, to Onan, Sleep with your brother's wife and fulfill your duty to her as a brother-in-law to raise up offspring for your brother. But Onan knew that the child would not be his, so whenever he slept with his brothers, he spilled his semen on the ground to keep from providing offspring for his brother. What he did was wicked in the Lord's sight. So the Lord put him to death also. Judah then said to his daughter-in-law, Tamar, Live as a widow in your father's household until my son Shelah grows up. For he thought, he may die too, just like his brothers. So Tamar went to live in her father's household. After a long time, Judah's wife, the daughter of Shua, died. When Judah had recovered from his grief, he went up to Timnah to the men who were sharing his sheep, and his friend Hira the Adullamite went with him. When Tamar was told, your father-in-law is on his way to Timnah to share his sheep, she took off her widow's clothes, covered herself with a veil to disguise herself, and then sat down at the entrance to Enaim, which is on the road to Timnah. For she saw that though Shelah had now grown up, she had not been given to him as his wife. When Judah saw her, he thought she was a prostitute, for she had covered her face. Not realizing that she was his daughter-in-law, he went over to her by the roadside and said, Come now, let me sleep with you. And what will you give me to sleep with you, she asked. I'll send you a young goat from my flock, he said. Will you give me something as a pledge until you sent it, she asked. He said, what pledge should I give you? Your seal and its cord and the staff in your hand, she answered. So he gave them to her and slept with her, and she became pregnant by him. After she left, she took off her veil and put on her widow's clothes again. Meanwhile, Judah sent the young goat by his by his friend the Adullamite, in order to give his pledge back from the woman. But he did not find her. He asked the men who lived there, Where is the shrine prostitute who was beside the road at Anaim? There hasn't been any shrine prostitute here, they said. So he went back to Judah and said, I didn't find her. Besides, the men who lived there said, There hasn't been any shrine prostitute here. Then Judah said, Let her keep what she has, or we will become a laughingstock. After all, I did send her this young goat, but you didn't find her. About three months later, Judah was told, Your daughter-in-law, Tamar, is guilty of prostitution, and as a result, she is now pregnant. Well, this is quite a story, isn't it? This is, well, this is one of those unseemly stories in Scripture, and one of those ones, well, we don't tackle very often because it's just so distasteful, isn't it? I mean, all these dynamics that are happening, this is is embarrassing. It's like, is, 
Is he really reading from the Bible? Is that really all this stuff in there? What, what, how is this story, how does this make it? You know, probably if I was compiling the book of Genesis and these stories, I probably would say, oh, do we really need that? Nevertheless, it's here. Well, so Judah says finally, discovering that she's pregnant. Now we see that there's more to it than she just got pregnant by prostituting herself. It was with him, and it was with, intentionally with him. She had him set up, but on the other hand, he was more than a willing participant here. And as he says, bring her out and have her burned to death, the story goes on. In verse 25, it says, as she was being brought out, she sent a message to her father-in-law. I am pregnant by the man who owns these, she said. And she added, see if you recognize whose seal and cord and staff are these. Well, Judah recognized them and said, she is more righteous than I, since I won't give her to my son, Shelah. And he did not sleep with her again. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. As she was giving birth, one of them put out his hand. So the midwife took out a scarlet thread and tied it on his wrist and said, this one came out first. But when he drew it back his hand, his brother came out and she said, so this is how you have broken out. And he was named Perez. And his brother, who had the scarlet wrist thread on his wrist, came out and he was named Zira. Now the dynamics of this story up to the point where Judah realizes he's the one who has impregnated his daughter-in-law, is just filled with ungrace. Judah, afraid that his third son is going to die, withholds what rightfully was the custom to, to send it along so that the first son might have an heir to his name, that his name might go on. Uh, but he, he circumvented that and kept her away and was, that was not happening. And, and she goes through this whole ordeal. And, you know, there's not a sense that this is okay. I mean, everyone who reads this story is like, what kind of story is this? This is not okay on every level. And as it comes to the conclusion and Judah realizes what's happened, he realizes he's the one who's done wrong. Now, he is the, then the one who has withheld from Tamar. But again, why is this story here? What about this story? And, and it's, it's, it's tragicness, it's awfulness, and, and these pictures of ungrace are there. Well, we press on in the Bible and find ourselves in Matthew chapter 1, and when Matthew introduces Jesus to us, he begins with a genealogy, and he writes it this way in Matthew chapter 1. This is the genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah, well there's Judah, and his brothers. Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Huh. Now as you read through the rest of that passage and the different names, this is, this is very much or oriented to the male ancestors or forebears. It goes on back all the way through to the, each of the fathers all along the line from Abraham down to Joseph, the father of Jesus, giving a picture. This is what it is. And, and this Jesus, he's in the line 
of King David. He's, a, he's from the line of Judah. But how is he from the line of Judah? This very, very awful story is featuring it. And even Matthew doesn't disguise it. He could have just said that he's the son of Zerah and we would have had to figure it out. But he makes it as blatant as possible. Through this awful event, the genealogy of Jesus continues. There are other pieces in this genealogy that are a mess. In fact, every time a woman is mentioned in here, there's something that's not okay about what happened there. Uh, Rahab uh, was a prostitute in the city of Jericho. Ruth was a Moabite. She was not a Jew, but she somehow becomes part of the line and she marries Boaz. And then, well, Matthew can't even bear to name uh, the mother of of. Solomon and, and merely mentions that Solomon, um, Solomon uh, David was the father of Solomon whose mother had been Uriah's wife. Uh, there's scandalous things in this. And yet as all these scandalous things are there, this is the genealogy of, genealogy of Jesus. That bad things have happened along the way. Things that are not right. And yet still, somehow, God uses this family as part of bringing his son into this world. It's, it's on some level a display of grace. That grace is this thing which we don't deserve. And we look at this family and all the troubles and problems that they have. Nevertheless, this is the family that God uses. That maybe even despite the things we do, God can say, you know what? Yeah, that was not good. But I still can use you. I still want you to be part of what I have in this world. Uh, Jesus came to tell people all that. We, uh, it, uh, in Isaiah, there's this reflection on Jesus and what he, what he was to do, what the Messiah was going to do. And in, in Isaiah 53, 6, we all like sheep have turned away. We, we all like sheep have sinned. Uh, uh, let me see it. We all like sheep have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. As we see the, the continuing message of Jesus lived out and we understand that the fulfillment in his death and resurrection, we see that we are so undeserving of goodness and kindness from God. And yet that's what he's extended to us. The Apostle Paul uh, brings this into clear picture in, in Ephesians chapter 2 as he's describing the Ephesians and as well as all of us who were without Jesus at one time and we lived without Jesus. We lived in similar ways to Judah and Tamar and, and so many others along the way. And, and so he writes in chapter 2, As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ. 
even when we were dead in transgressions, it is by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. We have received grace. We didn't deserve any of this. As Paul makes clear, this, is, this was all of our condition. None of us deserved any goodness from God. And yet because of his love for us, because of his kindness to us, he extends graciousness to us through Jesus Christ. And that's this gift that we're talking about. This gift of Christmas, God's grace to us who don't deserve it, who have no claim upon it. Well, that's kind of what it means, isn't it? Grace is something we get that we don't deserve. It's given to us because of the kindness of the giver. And that's the love of God for you. That understanding as it says at the beginning of this passage, we were dead. We were dead. But we're made alive. How are we made alive? By the work of the Lord. By the work of God himself. Through Jesus, our Savior. This he did on our behalf and calls us to him. But that's not the end of it either. We don't just receive the grace but in, as verse 10 says, or verse two, eight and, chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 and 10, just combine to make this beautiful picture. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and it's not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not a work so no one can boast. So all this, this clarity that we don't deserve this gift of God, it comes only by Jesus. We can, we, we've, not, we've done nothing to deserve it. But having received this, what are we to be? Well, we are God's handiwork. We've been created in Christ Jesus to do good works. So good works is a part of our life. Good works is part of something that we do in this world, but it's not something that gets us right with God. But because we became right with God because of God's grace, now we live this out. One of the things that Lewis in our skit discovers is that as he was living out what he describes as his religious religiosity, that he was more concerned about saying the right things than living rightly among those people, of looking at them and caring. And as we live out this life of grace, how does it look? Does it come off like Lewis did at that market? What do people say of us? What do they say of you and how you live out your life and how you live out your faith? What does that look like? How are you living this out? Uh, too often, Lewis is what some people think of when they think of the word Christian. Uh, say the, the word Christian and we hear, oh yeah, you're the ones who are anti-dancing or anti-smoking or feel the anti-whatever it is uh, that, that's, that comes to mind. You get the idea there. 
But what if, in looking at us, people were say, oh yeah, you're the ones who were handing out blankets that night it got so cold downtown. Or, oh yeah, you're the ones who took a team over to the country that had the earthquake. Or, oh yeah, you're the ones who sat by my mother's bedside when she passed away last year. Living out of graciousness, of kindness, and love. That's the call for us in our lives, in our work, in our moving along with other people. How do we do this? How do we live it out? What characterizes you? One of the things in my life has been working through how to do that and, and, and seeing, as I mentioned, that there's a lot of times I blow this. I was, uh, when I was in college, I, I was commenting, making some snide remark about one of my floor mates and, and uh, he, was, he was a large wrestler, just built. I mean, he was, he was huge and he was always working out and, and uh, he didn't seem the brightest guy to me and I made some disparaging remark about him to a guy I was walking with and, and, and this guy, Justin, he turns to me and says, you know, Rick, you're no different than us, are you? Over the course of that year, I had been identified as, as a, an evangelical Christian. There were things that I didn't do, and, and I'd set myself differently from them, from some of the things that I did and did not do. And as we were walking, and he knew me, and they, they knew that I went to church, and that, that my faith was part of me, that I read the Bible all the time, and, and I did, again, do some of the things I did. But as he heard me degrade this other guy, he says, yeah, you're no different from, from the rest of us, are you? And, and, and shame, I said, uh, 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 I, I guess not. And uh, it's been a lesson for me, not that I've done it perfectly since, but to, to take the time out and think, what am I representing right now? Am I re representing grace uh, what God has rescued me from and to care about these people that are around me, no matter what's going on in their lives, to still continue to reach out to them. There's this great story Jesus tells or that, that is told of Jesus. And this is in John chapter 4. And he was hanging out at a well in, in, the, in the Samaritan villages and, and uh, the disciples had gone to get food and he's just sitting there. It's about noon and, and, and a woman comes up to him at about that time and well the situation is it's not well this is not culturally good for him to be talking to a woman I mean it's it's not as scandal as Judah Judah and Tamar together but it's close in many people's minds because probably the next step in well you know this is what's gonna happen if you spend so so just him talking to her was was looked down upon this is something he shouldn't be doing but he engaged with this woman and talk with her. He, he asked her for water. He says, how is it you're asking me for? You, you, you're Jew and I'm a Samaritan. You have nothing to do with us as a people. Much less the fact that you're a man and I'm a woman. Here together. And Jesus uses that moment not to, to, to highlight their differences. But to begin talking about something larger and bigger. He said, if you knew who you were talking to, you would, you would ask for life 
to water that, that, that gives life, that never runs out. And she's like, whoa, that sounds good. Give me some of that water. I could use some of that water. And begins pointing her towards not the water itself, but that refreshes the life and the soul. She says, uh, he identifies that her life is a little bit of a shambles, that, that uh, she does not have a husband, but she has someone that's not her husband. She's had five husbands, and the man you're with now is not your husband. But then continues to reach out into her life. And she begins, and she goes into the town and says, come and hear someone who tells me everything about my life. Could this be the Messiah? Jesus, in meeting someone whose life was not okay, reached out for her and pointed her towards ways to get okay again with God. That's this grace. That's this picture of God reaching out to us and a call for us to live out as well. Who is in our life that needs to hear God's gracious call? Who needs to hear that God loves them? Even though their life is a mess, God still loves them. That's the message we have. That's this gift of grace that we've been given. And we can give away as much as we want. It never runs out. And it's for all mankind. It's for all people. Let's stand for closing prayer. Father, tonight uh, as, we, as we consider your grace, uh, your goodness to us, the things you've gone through on our behalf, you've reached out to us when we were unworthy and yet you did it because you loved us. Thank you for that. Lord, we want to live faithfully with you and we want to live faithfully for you and, and, and living this out. But Lord, help us to not ever make that a point where we think we're better than them and begin looking down on them. But to continue to find ways to build bridges into their life, to tell them about your goodness, about your kindness, about your grace that comes through our Lord Jesus. May our hearts and spirits be characterized by your life and spirit working out of us. And thank you that you have created us, that we are your handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do things you've planned for us to do. May we be faithful in walking and living and sharing our lives with others. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you this night. Well, thanks again for listening. And to learn more about how you can connect with Bethel Community Church, check out our website at islandbethelchurch.com or join us for a service Saturday night at 6 or Sunday morning at 1045. Hope to see you soon. God bless you.